folks, Gary Washburn here with sixth edition of the Washburn Files podcast as we talk Celtics basketball, the NBA, and other stuff. And it's uh, an interesting week in the NBA. Uh, the discussion about whether there should be an all-star game is percolating. Um, we're still having some COVID cancellations and postponements, but not as many as before, it seems. And in the last uh, results that the league released, there was no positive test, a good sign for the league. Although we have the situation that happened in Brooklyn on Friday night where Kevin Durant uh, was pulled out of the starting lineup, then put told he could play, then pulled out of the game for good in a loss to the Toronto Raptors. Um, a very strange situation there. Uh, for the NBA and just trying to deal with this uh, COVID-19 and the day-to-day kind of uh, ups and downs and player t- team f- officials might have in it, players who are the players around, exposure, contact tracing, uh, all the things that are going down in this situation. But this, the NBA is moving forward. Um, the Celtics are moving forward. Um, they got a couple of makeup games. That's what makes this week kind of crazy for them. In addition to playing Utah Tuesday, they have a game Thursday, game Friday, and then a game at Washington on Sunday because they're supposed. It's a makeup game, the, the Washington game, in a sense of it was supposed to be in the second half, but it was moved to the first half. And their game against the Detroit Pistons that was meant for Valentine's Day was moved to the twelfth, and then the Toronto game that was meant for that Friday was moved. To Thursday, so the Celtics now are coming off a West Coast trip. Will come home for two games and then go back on the road for Sunday at Washington. So they're going to be a tired bunch. And so far, this West Coast road trip has been up and down. Win one, lose one. Win one, lose one. Two and two so far going into the game, which will be the toughest of the trip against the Utah Jazz, the hottest team in the NBA. The most prolific offense, one of them them in the NBA, they're just playing very well. They're playing the kind of ball that people have expected for a few years now. They are just blowing out opponents, winning, uh, and then winning tough road games, won a tough road game at Indiana um, the other night. So they'll be waiting for the Celtics because they're coming off a long trip themselves. So if you're the Celtics, you got to try to eke this one out, make it a positive road trip. In reviewing the past four games, impressive wins at Golden State and then at the L.A. Clippers without Jalen Brown. That was probably one of the more impressive games of the season. Even though the Clippers are missing Paul George and Patrick Beverly, you still got Kawhi. You still got a bunch of stars and and good players on the Clippers. Marcus Morris, Lou Williams, um, Luke Kennard had a good start. Serge Ibaka. So, you know, Zubak, you had a, you have a bunch of good players on the Clippers roster. So the Celtics should be was should have been giddy over that victory. Then they come back Sunday, face the Phoenix Suns. Again, start slow, fall behind by big, you know, by big numbers. And then it's, you know, and then lose 100 to 91. I mean, just a frustrating game. And they fall, they fall behind 24 to 10, sorry, 22 to 10, uh, and then have to climb back. It's a noontime start. First time fans have been allowed in uh, Phoenix Suns Arena all year. 
And the fans did play a factor. They were loud, only 1,400. But when you're not, play, not playing in front of any fans, and then you throw 1,400, 1,500 fans, it sounds like maybe uh, eight or 9,000. It sounds like it's a, you know, they, they make a considerable difference. Um, and so the Celtics, it was a, a frustrating game for the Celtics because it was winnable. The defense played good enough uh, to win. They held Phoenix to 100 points. They kept Devin Booker in check. Devin Booker didn't go nuts. Uh, DeAndre Ayton didn't go nuts. But it just it, it just seemed like, unfortunately for them, they just weren't able to, to harness uh, the, the you know guys like Mikael Bridges and Cameron Johnson combined for 36 points. That's that's gonna hurt. That hurts when two guys combined for 36 points and Mikael Bridges. Boy, I, I tell you, he literally just plays. I mean, he plays great against Celtics. His last two games against the Celtics have been tremendous. Uh, he had six three pointers at Boston last year as Phoenix won that game. This time he was two for five, but he was eight for thirteen from the field. Made every big play, big shot. Played decent defense on Jason Tatum. So it was a disappointing loss if you're the Celtics. Disappointing for several reasons. Um, one, it's a game that you feel like you, you should be able to win. I mean, this, the Celtics, you know, the Suns are a solid club. Let's let's not get – but you're just coming off a, a win against the Clippers. You're playing an afternoon game. You, you might want to punch first, punch them in the mouth first, get some, you know, momentum going. And, and what do the Celtics do? They fall behind 22-10. to 10. And they're chasing Phoenix the entire game. They're trying to make plays to come back. They do. Then they give up another big third quarter run. They play another lousy third quarter. Then they try to come back again in the fourth quarter. And it just seemed like the basketball gods kicked in. Every time the Suns got an open shot or the Celtics slipped on defense or doubled a guy and, and there was a guy open, you know, Cameron Johnson would hit a three or Bridges would hit a floater or DeAndre Ayton would get an offensive rebound and a putback. This was a frustrating game because if you look at it, Devin Booker had 18 points. Um, a nice game with 11 assists and seven boards, but Booker didn't go for, for 35. Chris Paul had his moments, but he was 0 for 5 from 3. Phoenix was 8 for 29 from the three-point line, okay? But they were 32 for 53, from the two-pointers. They killed the Celtics on layups, points in the paint, points in the paint, 46 points in the paint for the, for the Suns, 26 for the Celtics, and 26 points on 13 of 35 from shots in the paint, which means they're just not hitting layups and short jumpers. Phoenix had this, the, almost as many shots in the paint, 37 to 35. They had 23. There's your game. The Suns hit 10 more shots in the paint than the Celtics did. Celtics lost by nine points. The Celtics shot 35% from the field. They shot 38% from three. They got a terrible night from Kimball Walker, four for 20, and they still had their chances to win the game. So it shows you what the Celtics can do when they're all engaged. One, they need to get healthy. You know, Jalen Brown, uh, we're not sure if he's going to play Tuesday against the Jazz, but it sounds like this is a good break for him to get some, some time off his legs get kind of rejuvenated. We'll see what happens on Tuesday, but they need to get Jalen Brown back. But the Celtics had a chance to win this game with their with the rosters that they had. But look at the box score. Kimba Walker and Carson Edwards combined for five for 26 shooting. I mean, you can't have that. 
You can't have that. Kimba did not hit a two-point shot. Kimba hit four three-pointers and missed all nine of his two-point shots. Okay, short jumpers and layups. Kimba did not have a good game. Kimba had a solid game in L.A. He was able to come back in the fourth quarter, hit a couple of key baskets, hit some key free throws, was able to help the Celtics prevail in one of his best games since he's been back. But overall, Kimba has struggled. And he's struggling, one, at the rim, and two, just hitting jumpers. And that's a concern, okay? It's not speed. It's not he can't, you know, get to a spot. It's that he's just missing shots. Um, And he's missing layups. He's a guy that the way I look at Kimba Walker is Kimba is a kind of a second tier star, as we as I think you guys would agree with. He's not the Kyrie. He's not a Steph Curry. He's on that second tier. And you might say low second tier of like elite point guards, if you want to call him elite. Right. He's a guy who's been an all star. He's played the big games, but he's not going to get he's not going to get a lot of calls. He's just not that kind of player. If you looked at the Celtics play Golden State the other night and some of the calls that Curry got, just, you know, going to the basket, a slight bump and one. Uh, The play late in the game where he jumped in to Grant Williams, Grant Williams jumped up, uh, three shots, foul on Grant Williams. Not even a question. You knew Grant Williams is not getting that call. It's going to be Steph. The same with Kyrie. The one thing Kyrie did well in Boston during his time in, with the Celtics is he got to the free throw line. You could always count on him getting to the line in the fourth quarter because he had these crafty moves and he was just able to get those calls. Kimba, not so much. Okay, Kimba attempted two free throws Sunday against Phoenix, and that call was actually challenged by Phoenix coach Monty Williams. So... It, it, it just doesn't lend that Kimba's going to get a lot of easy points. So Kimba's got to score at the rim, and he's got to make these layups even though he's getting contact. And I think that's the key here. Kimba is looking for contact, looking for the foul call, but he's not getting it, and he's missing the shot. So what does that do? He's on the floor. The other team gets the rebound, races up, and now they're five on four, and there's Kimba getting beat on defense. That makes a big difference. It makes a big difference when you're not taking the ball out of the basket. When you're grabbing the rebound and then throwing it down the floor, and then you have uh, a five on four. Because Kimba's got to get up, maybe say a few words to the official running by, and then try to get into the back into the play. That's not good. It, it, it puts a lot of pressure on the Celtics' defense. And the Celtics' defense on Sunday was pretty decent. In the second half against the Clippers, first half against the Clippers, it was terrible. The Clippers got anything they wanted. Luke Kennard looked like, uh, you know, one of the best players to ever come out of Duke. I mean, he was just awesome, but he did not have an impact in the second half. I don't think he scored in the second half. I mean, the Celtics, quite honestly, um... Played four, have played the last six quarters of good defense. They didn't play bad defense against the Suns. They they made some mistakes. They left some guys open because you've got a double Booker, okay? You've got a double or put another guy on Aiden. You don't want Chris Paul just 
dribbling around, creating things on his own. I mean, there's got certain guys you have to uh, double, and certain guys you're going to need to leave alone. So if you look at the Phoenix Suns and their uh, kind of others, their compliments, Mikael Bridges 8 for 13, Frank Kaminsky 4 for 6, Cameron Johnson 5 for 10, okay? I mean, all those guys hit more than half their shots. Like, that's going to beat you because you put so much emphasis on Booker and stopping Paul. And Aiton was solid, 16 and 11. Aiton didn't, you know, wasn't as dominant. Uh, he, he, he hurt the Celtics on a couple of, um, you know, putbacks. Some, when he was either under the basket and someone got the ball and found him or the ball bounced to him, it, you know, Aiton wasn't killing on the boards. He had 11 boards. He had two offensive rebounds. Um, Phoenix had 11 second chance points. The Celtics, another situation, nine second chance points, three for 14 on those attempts. I mean, are you kidding? Three for 14 on a chance to get the second chance points. That's why they lost. The Suns were five for 10. That's not bad, but three for 14 is not going to cut it. So the problem in Phoenix was one, the offense sputtered. Two, the guys who needed to beat the Celtics wanted to beat them. Hey, they beat them. You know, you're going to take Cam Johnson taking threes over Devin Booker. Mikael Bridges had missed his last 14 three-pointers entering the game. He goes two for five against the Celtics. He was on a real shooting slump. So, and then the starters got their butts kicked. Look at the Phoenix plus minus. Bridges was plus 11. Kaminsky plus 21. Aiton plus 20. Booker plus 11. Paul plus 19. I mean, you can't. Carson Edwards in his 17 minutes was minus 21. Kimba, 4 for 20, minus 16. Tatum, minus 12. Like, no Celtic starter had less than a minus 10, and that was Grant Williams. It was just a really, really disappointing performance coming off the win over the Clippers. And I think that's the disappointing part if you're a Celtic fan. Consistency, where is it? Where is posting back-to-back road wins, difficult road wins? Just like, essentially, you beat the Warriors, TNT game, Steph goes for 38, you get... You, you punch him in the mouth in the fourth quarter. You come away with a good run. You finish him off. You get a good win at Golden State because Golden State's not a bad club. The next night, you lose at Sacramento. Sacramento's a good team now, a better team. They're, they're above 500. They just won at, L, at the Clippers on Sunday. But that's a game you led by 11 points in the third quarter. And you lost the lead because you didn't essentially scout Tyrese Halliburton. The biggest thing, the Celtics sometimes, I just don't understand their lack of uh, kind of recognition. Halliburton was hot, okay? And they let him, basically left him alone for two three-pointers. He's got a funky release. I get it. It looks like he can't shoot. That is not true. He's shooting 40% from three. Whatever that funkiness is, it works for him. I remember... And I'm dating myself, growing up in L.A., and I used to, a big Laker fan, and Jamal Wilkes used to put the ball behind his head and shoot. He would cock the ball behind his head and shoot it. And it went in. And it was funky. I don't think any, 
99 out of 100 people couldn't make consistently make shots with that style. Jamal Wilkes was the 90, was the 100th. And John Wooden said, as long as it's going in, why change his style? Some of these guys who have funky shooting styles like Lonzo Ball, the shot ain't going in. So, yeah, it's funky. Halliburton flips the ball kind of from his, from the, his midsection. He kind of flips it. He doesn't shoot it above his head. And it goes in. But it seems like the Celtics just let him shoot. And he, he hit two straight threes to make go from an 11-point lead to now the Celtics are down five. Then here comes De'Aaron Fox. So it's a difficult loss because, one, you're up 11 in the third. You should win that game. Good teams find a way to win that game. You don't give up the lead in two or three minutes. You don't slip on defense like that. And then, and of course, the Celtics fouled too much in the fourth quarter. Uh, Harrison Barnes got to the line 10 times. There was a couple of really silly fouls off the ball when the Celtics were in the bonus. You're just giving Sacramento points. Like, Shimmy bumped into, uh, off a screen, bumped into Harrison Barnes. Grant Williams comes, hits a big three late in the game. It's a big three to bring the Celtics to within one. This has been typically the Celtics lately. It's a big three to bring the Celtics within one with under two minutes left. Okay, let's. if you're the Celtics, you get a stop. You come back, you try to take the lead. You got to get a stop. Or, you know, what, is, what, is, what happens? Grant Williams turns around and fouls Harrison Barnes off the ball and gives the, the Kings two points to make it a three-point game again. Like, you can't have that. You, you got to play smarter ball than that. You, you, can't, you can't foul in situations like that. And the Celtics fouled early in the clock. They put the Kings on the line. And, of course, De'Aaron Fox, being a guy who's probably going to make the all-star team, he has lived up to expectations, you know, kills them in the end with a couple of big jumpers, and you get a tough loss. But you come back and beat the Clippers, and then you come back again and lose to the Phoenix Suns. So what do the Celtics need? We've talked about this before. We've talked about... What can the Celtics do to improve? They've got this trade exception. And I know it's sort of like becoming the new version of the Memphis pick, where that was two for three years, the talk of Celtics faithful about how they were going to get that major impact player with the Memphis pick. The Memphis pick is, is now Aaron Neesmith. Okay, so if you're the Celtics, what do you need to improve? One, I think you need an athletic wing. You need more you need more athletes in the team. You need a dependable third score because I don't know at this point if you could depend on Kimball Walker to get you. Last year he averaged 20 points a game. I don't know if he could do that efficiently this year. Like, I don't I think he needs help. I think that if you're the Celtics, you need another player on this roster who can score easy points. Trisha Thompson's really helped out um, over the la- on this trip of getting um, to the basket, getting to the line. He had a couple of key free throws against the Clippers. He has been uh, kind of lived up to expectations lately. Not 
<laughs> in the first. He struggled at first, was not good around the rim, but he was very good. He's been very good on this road trip. Daniel Tice has been pretty good on the trip, learning how to shoot the three better, um, but you just don't have that difference-making, shot-blocking guy. And Robert Williams is doing better, too. Um, do you need? Could you use a big? Of course you could use a big. I think they need a three-point shooter and a wing, and Danny Ainge is quoted as saying, hey, I want somebody to play defense. Now, obviously, that counts out J.J. Redick. You don't want to uh, uh, throw a 36-year-old guy out there on defense and he, he can't stop anybody. Or he gives up just as many points as he scores. They want a younger defender who can also, like a th- another 3 and D guy. So if you're the Celtics, if you add Jalen Brown to the mix, I think they do have enough. But they've got to get better performances out of guys. Kimba's just got to be better. We, we've talked about this. Kimba, is, Kimba can't go four for 20. And it, it's not like his, they blitzed him on defense. They made it hard for him. Kimba just missed shots. You know, Kimba missed nine two-point shots at the rim and in the paint. You know, Kimba's not pulling up for many 19-footers. It's literally, you know, 15 feet, those pull-ups he does, or scoring at the rim. He missed nine, all nine. That's a concern if you're the Celtics. That's a concern because you want him to hit open shots. It makes the defense, sorry, the offense easier for everybody. Jason Tatum, there's going to be nice. He's eight for 22. Okay, I think he's got enough skill set. I think he's fine. He's, he's starting to distribute the ball. I, think, I don't think Tatum and Brown are the issue at all. I think that they just need more bench help. Jeff Teague had a pretty decent game. Uh... The other night, he, he played decently against the Suns, hit a couple of threes. But here's the thing with Teague. When you, you can tell that Teague, players lose confidence when they stop shooting. And Teague is passing up shots now that he took a month ago because he's afraid he's going to miss them. And he's only shooting 20, 28% from the field. And you can't have a guy on the floor who's hesitant. Because this league is all about hitting the open shot, creating the mismatch, or creating an opportunity where a player gets an open shot. That is what the NBA is about. And if you have a player on the floor who, and I'm not talking about Robert Williams, Robert will take the mid range jumper occasionally and hit it. I'm talking about a guard who has spent his career scoring these baskets. If you have a guy on that on your roster who does not want to shoot that's not good unless or unless he or he's got to get or he's got to get uh be a great defensive player he's got to give you something productive when he's on the floor if Teague is not scoring and he's not really dis- a really good distributor then what does he do and Brad Stevens, Coach Brad Stevens, Celtics coach, decided he was going to replace some of Teague's minutes with Carson Edwards. Carson Edwards had 16 points, his best game, not his highest scoring game because he scored more in garbage time, but his best game as a professional. 16 points, but he comes back the next night against the Suns and goes one for six, 
it is a minus 21. <laughs> it, it, you know, you can't blame Brad for trying. Uh, the only thing you can do is get someone who's more dependable. Okay, because I don't know if Carson Edwards is ready to become that dependable guy who can come off the bench and score. Because, and I don't know if you want to put that kind of pressure on Peyton, Peyton Pritchard, but Pritchard, 12 points, he, he was a plus one, five rebounds. I mean, he was the, one of the guys instrumental in bringing the Celtics back late. The Celtics pretty much ran out of time in that game. They had a couple of chances to make plays, but they, you know, drew it to within five and to win three at one point because of Peyton Pritchard. He's fearless. You got to love the guy if you're a Celtic fan because he has come in and exceeded expectations. He's been way more productive. Remember, in the draft, Aaron Neesmith was supposed to be the guy that was supposed to be more NBA ready, was supposed to come in, help this team, stabilize things, become a shooter, just be an asset to the bench. And Neesmith's played a little bit lately, but back, I don't know what's going on, but he's back in Brad's uh, do not play list. Okay, he did not play um, in, the, in the last couple of games. He has contributed nothing because he's not in the game. It's, it's, it's a disappointment in a sense because when you heard about Neesmith being a real professional shooter, a guy who was already an NBA caliber shooter, and uh, you thought that he would come in and be that guy, not come in and be just an immediate, you know, 15 points off the bench, but just show signs. Show signs of like, hey, I can play at this level. And for now, we really don't know what Neesmith has. And it might not, we might not know uh, if you follow the Celtics until next year. And that's just a fact. Because I don't know if they're going to put any confidence in him as the season progresses, as the games become bigger. I don't know if they're going to put more confidence in Aaron Neesmith to be uh, a reliable player off the bench. Let's be honest. So for me, I think you, you got to do something with the bench, as we've talked about. And we can talk about Shimmy Ojale. Shimmy had an interesting line against the Suns. He was 0 for 2 for the field, 0 for 2 for 3, but he was a plus 10 in his 20 minutes. So he played strong defense. That's a positive impact. But the thing about Shimmy is Shimmy's going to get a lot of open threes. And, man, has he worked on his shot. Or at least he's tried. He he shoots, constantly shooting three-pointers. But he's got to knock them down. He's got it because he's going to most of – you're not, as, a, as, a, as an opposing team for the Celtics, you're not going to say, we got to stop Shimmy Ojoy. You're going to let him shoot until he hits three or four in a row. And the fact is, he's getting these open shots, and he's not making defenses pay for leaving him open. And that is the key to having Shimmy Ojale on the floor, to have another guy who can shoot the ball successfully from the three-point line and then give you defense. And the Celtics want so badly for him to be that guy. But Ojale is just not doing that so right now. He's not giving you that lift because that lifts the bench. Like let's say, for example, if you look at the Phoenix game, 17 points off the bench from Cameron Johnson. You know what I'm saying? Like what I mean by that is 
Cameron Johnson is a shooter. He came off the bench and hit four threes. That was crushing. That was crushing to the Celtics. Every time he got open, because remember, as I mentioned earlier, you're doubling Booker, you're, tr- you're putting another defender or trying to make sure Chris Paul doesn't roll around, or you're doubling DeAndre Ayton, so on and so forth, Cameron Johnson is going to get um, an open shot, and he knocks them down. So if you're the Celtics, you need a guy like that. Peyton Pritchard came off the bench and did that, four for nine from the field, but you want that out of shimmy. You want guys who can come off the bench and give you some offense. The Celtics have too many guys with so many limits. Javante Green is a nice player. He's a freakish athlete, but he doesn't shoot well enough. So if you leave him on for, you know, he doesn't shoot well enough from the line. He doesn't shoot well enough from three. Now he can steal and score. He can get you a dunk, but offensively he's not as refined. The same with Shimmy. Jeff T, as we talked about, has been apprehensive about shooting the ball. That's unfortunate. But Shimmy, Jeff Teague has either got to step out of the slump or the Celtics need to do something with his minutes. Now, it was a progress progress on, on Sunday, four for eight, 10 points. He was a plus eight with his time on the floor, but no assists in 18 minutes. So he's not distributing the ball. He had one steal and one rebound. So if he's not distributing the ball and he, he's either got to, he's got to score. So you need that. Same kind of effort from Jeff Teague. If, if, if he makes half his shots and hit, hits a couple of threes, that's what you want. But if you're the Celtics, there's a lot of, like, the trade exception's a, a, an issue, and you need desperately Marcus Smart to come back. I think the Celtics are hoping maybe when they, when they arrive home, um, he could be ready, but it could be another week or so before Marcus Smart is back. And Jalen Brown, we're not sure in terms of when he'll return. But you want to get it full strength. But if you're the Celtics, you can't stop. Health, it's too much. Everybody complain about health. Nobody is healthy in this league. Look at Portland. They lost C.J. McCollum. They lost Yusuf Yurk. They lost Collins, the kid from Gonzaga. Okay? Like, they, you got to play on. You can't keep, well, we're not at a whole, we, we just don't have our whole team. You probably won't ever have your whole team. Let's be honest, this is the league. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to have a nagging injury. Someone, you're not going to have your full squad. And even if you do, you're not going to have them for a long time. Someone's going to get hurt. So, if you're the Celtics, you try to figure out what to do to enhance this roster. And obviously the trade exception is something that will start creeping up. Okay? But... What hurts the Celtics is is that there are 10 playoff spots. Remember, there's a play-in tournament because the the bubble play-in tournament was so popular that uh, the league decided they want to try it twice. So they're going to do it again. And you look at the standings in the league now, okay, Cleveland is the 10th team in the East, okay, so if the season ended today, Cleveland would be in the play-in and play Charlotte, who's seventh. Okay, the, the East is looking like <laughs> it's rough, okay? Now, Cleveland 
is 10 and 14, seven games back of first place Philadelphia. But they're only four and a half ahead of Detroit, who is five and 18. So if Detroit, let's say Detroit, just I'm throwing this out here. If Detroit decided to make a run, they could try to grab the 10 spot. They're only four and a half back, even though they're terrible now. If they made a, a run, won five, six in a row, the Pistons could be back in the discussion. So, and the same with Washington. Washington is as bad as they've been. Three games back of the 10th spot. So, does that encourage these teams to make a trade and start being sellers? If you're desperate for publicity, if you're desperate for a playoff share, if you're desperate like Washington to get back into the mix because you have Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, do you think the Wizards are going to make a move? I know they have five wins in 20 games. I get it. It doesn't sound like it makes sense. However, they're still three games back in that 10 spot. Let's look at the West. Houston is the 10 spot. Minnesota is 6-17. They're five and a half back. But look at the other teams behind. Memphis, playoff aspirations. New Orleans, playoff aspirations. Oklahoma City, probably not, but... They got so many damn first-round picks. If they bump, if they back into the playoffs, they're good with that because it doesn't hurt their stock. They got 27 first-rounders coming up. They're good. They're playing for the future. And then Dallas. Of course Dallas has. I picked mistakenly and foolishly Dallas to be third in the East. <laughs> How's that going, Gary? Not very well. Thank you. Dallas is two games back of the of the. Sorry, the seventh of the tenth spot. Right? So who's gonna be sellers? Who's gonna go to the Celtics and go, here, here, we'll take your trade exception. Here's our standout player. Here's our star player. And then be able to be good with that. And be able to be good with getting a first round pick in return. That's that's an interesting question because who who are gonna be sellers? The market will develop as a trade. Uh, Deadline, which is now like about six weeks away, as that as that closes in as we get closer. But right now, it's hard to say. Besides Minnesota and maybe Detroit, who are the who are who's sellers? Detroit just traded Derrick Rose to the Knicks, but what they get back? They got a second round pick and Dennis Smith Jr., who was a former lottery pick. So if I'm the Pistons, that's smart, Derrick. Rose is not getting you victories. You're five and eighteen. Kick the tires on Dennis Smith Jr. Maybe he could be a backcourt mate with Killian, uh, the kid Killian Hayes, and maybe you got a, you got something there because it was obvious Dennis Smith needed to get the heck out of the Knicks. I don't know what happened to him. He was so good at NC State that one year. Remember he fell, and everybody was like, what? "Someone's going to make a mistake." Because Smith is going to be a star. He, he averaged 15 points a game as a rookie in Dallas and hasn't been heard of since. So he needed a new environment. So if you're the Celtics, um, you at this point, we really don't know who's, who's a seller. We don't know who's a seller. We don't know who's available. Everyone's pointing to all these guys on Orlando. Orlando is one game back of the 10th spot. With all the injuries... All the mayhem, they're three and seven in their last 10. Uh, you know, they're not a good club. They have one of the worst, um, sorry, one of the worst uh, 
Point differentials in the East, minus 7.2. And sorry, folks, that is worse to the East. So they get they lose by an average of 7.2 points. Detroit's only 5.3. The Wizards are 6.8. So the, the, when the Magic lose, like they did at Boston, they really lose. But they're one game back of the Cavaliers. So if you're Orlando, do you again make the eight, you know, try to sneak to the playoffs, losing the first round as a sweep, and go through that cycle again? Or do you become sellers, put your confidence in Jonathan Isaac when he comes back, maybe Mo Bamba, he's if he's ever healthy, and then Markel Fultz when he comes back, what do you do? They could be sellers. And they have Terrence Ross, who I think the Celtics should go after. Because Terrence Ross, one, can light it up. He's athletic. He can defend. You put him in a – I think Terrence Ross is one of those guys, you put him in a winning system, he'll be a winner. You put him in a system like Orlando that's kind of, eh, he's going to be, eh, that's what he's going to do. But if you put discipline, good teammates, and Terrence Ross together, I think you have – a real find for the Celtics. That's the guy I personally would go after. Aaron Gordon is hurt. We'll see what Aaron Gordon has when he comes back. Aaron Gordon's another guy I don't think would be bad. I think he's one of those guys that it's just time for him to get out of Orlando. It hasn't worked. The Magic have not been to the second round since he's been there. They've got they've gotten blasted in the first round. The Magic are trying to put together a nice team, but they can't really get major free agents, and their drafting has been, let's be honest, terrible. Jonathan Isaac, you don't know. Uh, Mo Bamba's been a bust so far. I mean, you know, they traded, they drafted Oladipo and traded him. You know, it's, I mean, they, their history of draft picks and all the lottery picks has not worked out well. So I would think Orlando would be a seller. But you don't know what management says. You never know. Spanja can say, no, Coach Clifford, go for the playoffs. We want to we be into that playing tournament. So if you're the Celtics, it's hard to tell who's sellers right now. And everybody wants Danny Ainge to make this major move. But as you can see, not many major moves. At Harden, notwithstanding, because Harden demanded out, and it was obvious he had to be traded. Um that, there's not many major moves going on yet. It will warm up. It will warm up as we go toward March. But if you're the um, if you're the if you're the Celtics, I think you gotta play the patient game. You don't want to make a bad deal. You don't want to make um, you know you don't want to get anything that's too much. You know you don't want to take on too a, a guy with too heavy of a contract down the road that's going to mess up your cap. You gotta be very careful with this trade exception. However, um, you know, they do need to do something. And hopefully, if you're a Celtic fan, it, become, it comes moderately soon because I think the East can be gotten. Before we wrap it up, I mean, let's look at the East. The Celtics, for their troubles, are still only four games back of first. They're, they're in the fourth slot. Okay, they can make up those four games. It's pretty easy to do. They just got to be more consistent. They're four and six in their last ten they're two and two on this road trip. Average, you know, up and down. They've just been up and down. Remember, they were eight and three, so they've lost seven of their last um, eleven games. 
That's not good. They've been injury plagued. You know, the, the COVID got them. Marcus Smart out. Jalen Brown's missed a couple of games. But these games have been winnable. And it's to me, it, the, the, the onus is on Kimba Walker to step up. So, folks, that is it for this edition of the Washburn Files. We really uh, enjoy you listening. Thank you. And we're going to get back to you this week. We'll have some talk about the road trip about what's upcoming. Let's see who's healthy and who comes back. And we'll talk more Celtic basketball. And we'll have, I promise, more special guests. And we'll do it all. So thank you. Have a great sports week. Hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl. Now it's fully basketball season. And concentrate on that. Enjoy your Celtics. Um, if you're a Celtic fan, enjoy the NBA. And we'll talk to you soon. And remember, stay healthy and safe out there. Put on a mask.